following is a session from the Recovering Grace Conference 2019, sponsored by Saints and Sinners Unplugged. To find out more about the conference and the Saints and Sinners Unplugged podcast, visit our website at saintsandsinnersunplugged.com. This is the fourth session, Jesus as King, presented by Aldo Leon, pastor of Reconcile Church Miami in Homestead. Just just a few uh, introductory comments. First, the reason I'm a Presbyterian is because of my three Baptist friends that I'm preaching here with. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh at that. It was through me talking about the gospel with them that I, I turned fully to the dark side. Um, so that, that, that's an interesting thing. Uh, the second thing is that uh, Dave is the guy who brings all the uh, gospel equipment to the warehouse. Um, Ken is the one who organizes and puts everything in boxes and makes you know exactly what it is and where it's going. Uh, Prado is the one who brings it to your house. And I'm the gun you shoot at somebody when they're in your house, okay? That, that makes a lot of... You think that's accurate? All right, good. So I'm going to talk about the office of Jesus being king. And I'm just going to do this in three ways. The king in principle, uh, the king in the past, and the king in the present. So here's, as, as I just lay like a general understanding of the king in principle, I just want to say that Jesus has a crown in and through his other offices. So he has a crown in and through his prophet, prophetic office and priestly office. Let me read a text just to get it going. Ephesians 1, so the first few verses of Ephesians, it talks about Jesus' priestly offering. But then in verse 17, after the offering is explained, look at it, it says, I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, the glorious Father would give you a spirit of wisdom revelation. So I'm talking about the prophetic revealing elements of the priest's sacrifice. But then you get down to verse 19. It says, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. So now you go from the priestly work to the prophetic truth to the kingly power of the prophet and priest. And then in verse 20, it says, he demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the Father. Now, this is very important because Jesus' priestly work, it's not just a sentimental event. Jesus' priestly work, because it's the work of a king, is powerful. It's, it's something that brings you from death to life, from old creation to new creation, from damnation to justification, from alienation to reconciliation. It is a powerful king who priestly offered himself. And because he's a king, his prophetic word is more than instruction and advice. His prophetic word creates reality. It defines reality. It controls reality. It sustains reality. And his prophetic word is reality. Why? Because all of his other two hats are with the hat of a king. And so I would say that it is his kingly hat that brings about the effects and consequences of his prophetic hat and his priestly hat. So the kingly hat is what makes all of these speaking and offering elements actually happen and be affected and take us all the way, like David said, to the glorification project in the end. So I'm going to unpack this principle of Jesus as king in two ways. The first is by talking about the king in the past, and the, and the second is by talking about the king in the present. So let's talk about the king in the past for a little bit. Here's something I found really interesting. When you actually look at the, the verses about the lordship of Christ, uh, they're actually very different than how I hear Christians talk about lordship. So just pay, pay very close attention to the text. So here's one thing I would say about the king of the past, so let's understand what this crown means. First, the king, has, the king was crowned, he's not being crowned. The king was crowned, he's not being crowned. Look at Philippians 2.8. I'm going to read a lot of verses, I'm sorry, some of you who don't particularly like verse jumping, but I, I, I have to. Um, jump, jump, jump. All right, 
For this reason, verse 9, Philippians 2, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So Jesus was given his kingly state and status 2,000 years ago by God by virtue of what he did on that rugged old cross. Okay? Which means that you don't crown him in the presence. No one has ever made Jesus Lord, okay? God made him Lord 2,000 years ago. You don't even accept him as Lord because the assumption is your acceptance makes him Lord. He was made and accepted as Lord by his dad, by his rugged, rugged cross work. You trust that God has made him Lord in history. But you don't make him that now. You don't make the son to be the son. The son is the son, whether you make it to be the son or not. The kingship of Christ is not about you crowning him king in your heart. Now it's about God crowning his son king 2,000 years ago. And you receiving that in faith. And you say, why does that matter? You always got to nitpick Aldo and, you know, pick on our words. Can we just love Jesus, you know? Let me tell you why it matters. If you made him Lord, then you can unmake him Lord. And let me tell you something. I unmake him Lord in my life a lot. What do you mean, Pastor? You unmake him Lord a lot. There are some days where I acknowledge his authority and some days where I run from his authority and some days where I pretend I'm under his authority. But thank be to God that he has crowned himself in history and that gives me security that I don't unmake that by how I crown him in my heart on a bad day. That's good news. That's why this matters. That's why it's important. If you didn't put them there, then you can't unput him there. <laughs> so the king was crowned in the past. He's not being crowned in the present. He doesn't need your crowning of him every Sunday with another crowning event. He was crowned by his dad by virtue of his work. Second thing about the king's past. He has a crown that does more than regulate, but runs reality, or has run reality. He has a crown that does more than regulate, but has run reality. We keep quoting Hebrews, so let me be someone who does the same. He has spoken to us in these last days by son. I like the, in the original, there's no, it just says son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Now, in the Greek, the word for universe is aeons, which means not just he created reality, but he created and sustains history, ages, epochs. So check this out. Jesus has, in his crown, been ruling and regulating and sustaining and creating every detail of history. Not just regulating morals in epochs, but he has been regulating and creating and ruling the very history that you read about. He made that. He created that. He sustains that. He created the world. He sustains the past. And by the way, he brought in the new age and new history of the final age and the present by his work. He is the Lord of history, not just a regulator of life. So he does regulate lives. This is a picture I used recently, but I haven't used it in a conference, so I can use it. It's my son and Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's got a Trader Joe's person, employee right here. They have like these uh, things for the little, little kids' shopping carts. And he would, my son was pushing the shopping cart, and he thought he was, you know, controlling the shopping cart. And then every once in a while, he was about to plumb the shopping cart into some wall, and he turns around, and he sees my hand on top of that, that thing the whole time. See, he was making decisions, he was making choices, but I was controlling his 
shopping cart aisle destiny the entire time. (laughs) And so it's so funny that we talk about the Lord's will like we will his willingness or something. I want to know if I'm in the Lord's will. You are in the Lord's will because he's willing your reality every second. The Lordship of Christ is not about you bending your reality to his rule. It's him bending history and your reality to his rule all the time. You are in the king's rule. So recognize that. As opposed to get stuck in all these weird evangelical terms about finding his will Uh, unleashing his will, surrendering to his will. He is willing the reality that you live in. Accept that. Believe that. That's what it means for Jesus to have a crown that does more than regulate history, but runs it. Just like, (laughs) I run this thing. But I, I, you know, that's good. Uh, I'm glad you invite me to let me run your life. You know, you hear a song, take thy will and make it. He's like, I be doing that all the time. (laughs) I run this world. I run history. I run eschatology. And I run you. He's a crown that does more than regulate, but runs reality. I have two more points about the past. He has a crown of blood, not gold. He has a crown of blood, not gold. Revelation 5, 6. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. Perfect tense. He is always standing in this throne room with a slaughtered lamb, disposition, title, whatever. Not that he did that one time, but that's how he stands in heaven. Look. He is standing between the throne. So check this out. We have a vision of the throne, and in the middle of the throne is a picture of a defeated lamb. That's strange. Why would you give us a hopeful picture of a triumphant throne room with a picture of a defeated, conquered lamb? Well... In defeat, we actually see victory. In the lamb being conquered, we actually see him conquering. And so he conquers us, beloved, by him being conquered, not by him conquering you. You know what I'm saying? He conquers you by him being conquered first, not by him conquering you first. And let me give you a picture that may be helpful. Um, the, you, know, you know how moms, every mom in this room has the, has the loyalty of their kids, more than dad does, I think. <laughs> you know why that is? Because they have won the crown of their kids' hearts by being conquered by their kids. They conquer you. They defeat you every day. They suck you to death. It's called breastfeeding. They, they conquer you by just depriving your sleep. They conquer you in hum- the humiliation of perpetually being vomited on and spit on. And because they have seen you conquer them and they've seen you so lowly you win their hearts and that dad comes in with the brute conquering force of yo you're gonna respect me and guess what they ain't listening to you you get the picture this is how the lord rules and conquers in history he rules over us by the profound power of being conquered by death temporarily He reigns and dominates by being dominated by sin, death, and those powers. And as he's conquered, as he's defeated, he rules and he reigns over us. I don't know about y'all. That's a different kind of Lord I see in Scripture than I hear amongst us. You say, you know what? Why does that matter? Why is that important? Why is him being... One who dominates by being dominated, conquers by being conquered. Because it means that when you think about protection and safety and preservation, think about what happened to him. 
when you think safety and protection and preservation, don't think about how victorious you can be in the name of Jesus. Think how profoundly victorious his defeat is that got you into this thing. He has a crown of blood, not gold. Here's the last point I have about him in history. He has a king that has a crown that was given by serving his own crown. He has a king that has a crown that was by serving his own crown. Romans 5, 19. For just as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so as to the one man's obedience. How many man's obedience are you righteous? The one man's obedience. That's a pretty clear statement. The many will be made righteous. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign. There's that kingly language will reign through righteousness. So check this out. Do you know how the Lord became the Lord of your life? It's by the Lord taking off his crown and becoming servant of his own law. That's what Romans 5 is saying. He crowned himself over you in history by serving his own rules for you. Now, let me give you another picture about this helpful because when I say this, people be like, what are you saying, Aldo? That's complex. It's not. It just doesn't make sense to our worldviews. Look, in my house, we have lots of rules. And we have rules for parents and we have rules for kids. And do you know who keeps those rules mostly so that this house functions, the kingdom of our house functions? You know who keeps the rules of picking up, cleaning up, you know, and making sure this place doesn't become a cesspool? Do you know who keeps those rules mostly? It's the, the lords of the house. So because the lords of the house, the rulers of the house, they are the ones who serve under those rules, we have a house to live in. But if it's dependent upon those little servants, guess what? We ain't living in this house. We're all going to die of unhealth, unsanitary situations. Now, beloved, do not get it twisted. The reason you are under the authority of the king is because he perfectly kept his own kingly laws as a servant, not because you're imperfectly surrendering your willingness to the king's laws. That's why you're in. That's why he reigns. That's why you protected. That's why you preserved. Because the king crowned himself by keeping his own laws as a servant, and you get in because of that. That's lordship salvation. The last Adam became a servant to obey his laws for you who cannot. As opposed to, oh yeah, you can really be in the house so far as you can really keep the Lord's rules. That doesn't work. He has a crown that was made by serving his own crown. So, here's just... A few points. Hey, is that, what, where am I with time? Because my timer's not working. How long have I gone? Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Here's some application. Listen. How do you... And, and, just a few points. If he was crowned in history, then you know how you surrendered him in the present? You put on the coronation history channel of the Bible. Okay? So the Bible, there's, there's a history channel. And it basically has the coronation of Jesus, him having the crown 2,000 years ago. So listen, the way you get to really be under that crown is not by the Super Sunday re-crowning events. It's by you putting on the biblical coronation history channel where you regularly remind that he has been given the crown already and you just have to receive that reality. That's the way we unfold it. Secondly, beloved, if he has a crown of blood, not gold, you should not feel like you are a part of the king's victory because you are conquering things in your life, beloved. Conquering my, my emotional issues. Conquering, you know, social problems in America, in Jesus' name. I'm conquering in the crown. Beloved, that's not how we experience the power of his victory. We experience the power of his victory not through us conquering by the crown, but through the profound once-for-all defeat and conquering of Christ for us on the cross. That's how we are victorious. He was conquered by death, therefore we are kings, not 
You are, through all those kingly muscles, conquering in the name of Jesus. So you can feel that the crown is potent and powerful in your life. Last thing I'd say is if the king has a crown by serving his own crown, then we need to have a different view of submission. There's this famous pastor. My, my church told me not to talk about him because that's not a good idea. So I'm going to say this famous pastor who was talking about the lordship conversation. And he says, one of my students, it's not me, okay, one of my students has said that my view of lordship confuses law and gospel. It's, it makes Christians horrified. And they can never realize they're Christians. And you know what? He has defected from the faith. Let me tell you something. If the submission of the servants to the Lord is the essential reality of the crown, then you have defected from the Lord. True homage to the king is saying, yo, I am living in dad's kingly house because the servant who was Lord perfected those laws in his historic life, and that's how I'm under the lordship of Christ. That is homage. The other is defection. Got it twisted, y'all. So that's the king in the past. How about the king in the present? How do we, how do we understand the lordship of Christ, his crown in the present? I have a, f- a few things to say. Since no one will tell me how much time I have, I'll just think I've been preaching for 15 minutes. How's that? So how do we see this? In the pre- Here's one thing. The king has a crown of provision over prescription. The king has a crown of provision over prescription. Hebrews 4. He's like, what? why do you say that? Let's just read the language, okay? Listen. Hebrews 4, 15. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tested every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of requirements and regulations with boldness. Wait, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Oh, my bad. Therefore, let me approach the, the throne of grace with boldness so we can find help at the proper time. So he's saying, listen, you want to know what my crown is like? I have a crown of generous provision for needy people who cannot surrender to me without my provisions. This is so different than, and by the way, I think it was Paul, so I'm going to say I think, you know, the Pauline author, you know. I think when Paul is writing this to the Hebrews, this is so different than what they would have seen about their kings. All all their kings were about demanding something from their people. Give me your wives. Give me your money. Give me your property. Give me your allegiance. Give me your sacrifices. Give me your tributes. That's how they saw kings. And here comes Paul, maybe, likely, and he says, our king comes providing what his servants need to live before him. And it's intriguing to me that, here's the problem. You know how you project your unresolved daddy issues and mommy issues on everything else in life? People project their unresolved authority issues on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, they projected to him to be this, I, I need all this stuff from you. And Paul says, I have a throne. I have an authority. I have a power of giving for you on your lack. Well, I missed that one. So here's what it sounds like. Give me your faithfulness. Give me your love. Give me your devotion. Give me your intensity. Give me your all surrender. That's how we hear him on the throne all the time. But here's what it should sound like. You don't have faithfulness, but I have it. Let me give it to you. You don't have affection for me, but I have affection for you. Let me give it to you. You don't have changes, but I have resurrection. Let me give it to you. You don't have delight and desire and all satisfaction. I do. Let me give it to you. Let me give it to you. Let me give it to you because you don't have it. 
Lordship realities is me realizing that I cannot live before the Lord as he wants, but he has a throne of grace and provision in our need. I don't know about y'all. I can worship a king like that. I can obey a king like that. These other projections of the king, I can't. I can't. It's the second thing about the king in the present. The king has a crown of pardoning over condemning. Zechariah 3, 1. Oh, my gosh. Here you go with all of your, you know, your Aldo interpretations. All right, you know, let's go. Zechariah 3, 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, with Satan standing on his right hand to accuse him. So basically, Satan's like, yo, this dude is not under your lordship. I got the, I, I got the proof. What does Jesus say? What is a throne room conversation? Well, I guess he's not a believer. No. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Paraphrase. Shut up, Satan. Why? May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him. Take off his filthy clothes. See, I have removed your guilt for me, and I will clothe you with splendid robes. Robes. I have a throne that is powerful in pronouncing pardon, not accusation. Moses already did that. I have a throne that's powerful in pronouncing pardon, royal decrees of forgiveness in light of their sloppy submission of lordship. Why? Because there was a wardrobe exchange, y'all. See, he had had his non-lordship clothes on, but I put them on 2,000 years ago. And I was slaughtered for all of that defilement on the cross, and I drenched those sinful, unsubmissive robes with blood. And then I gave him my last Adam righteous robe. And I said, that's his outfit. So shut up, Satan, because I have a throne. I have an authority. I have a power to pronounce royal decrees of pardon and forgiveness in the midst of people coming to me filthy. That's what he wants to be known for. You see, kings, they all want to be known for something. Some kings want to be known for power. Others for wisdom, others for wealth, others making sure that all traitors will die, others for how wise and entertaining they could be. But Jesus is saying, you know what I want my crown to be notorious for? I forgive you. I do wardrobe exchanges. He doesn't have a throne, beloved, that is powerful in condemnation and accusation. That's the devil. The devil's the one who's at the throne saying, listen, they're not worthy of the throne. And Jesus does not say, listen, I will, through maturity and sanctification, bring them back to the throne, like maybe 20 years later, and then we'll have this conversation again. He says, forgiven, pardon, period, point blank. There was a wardrobe exchange, and I am glorious and powerful and mighty and sovereign in pronouncing unconditional forgiveness to people who are soiled with sin. That's the lordship of Christ. That's the power of his throne. It is the power of pardon, the power of exoneration, the power of forgiveness. I have three more things to say. Can you guys tolerate that? The king has a crown that creates submission. The king has a crown that creates submission. Look at Ephesians 1.22. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over all things to the church. So here's, here's the Lord taking his lordly seat, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. <laughs> Basically, These people that I'm lording over, 
they're empty. So guess what? From my triumphant position of conquering gospel, priestly, prophetic power, I'm going to dump stuff in their emptiness so they can live unto me. Have you ever heard Lordship explained that way? It's right there. He fills empty buckets so that in them being filled by his kingly position and provision, they can then live for him. Now listen. The Lord does more than demand. He creates your ability to respond. He does more than require. He creates those things like, like, like Prado started getting into. And let me give you two pictures. One picture is how, the, how a wife wants you to surrender to her. How, does a, how, do you want your, how do you want your men to surrender, right? You want the power of the request to produce a surrender, right? Just by you saying, husband, will you clean? Oh, and you think the power of that request, surely that will produce the submission. And does it? That's why you go to other things. You go to guilt and shame and threatening. and all. That works. There's another way to create submission. It's called MMA fighting. They, by power and dominance, create the submission that they want from their opponents. Beloved, that's a very general picture, but that's what God is saying. Listen, me being Lord is more about me. Giving you abilities by my powerful grace, by uniting you to Christ, by the love of the Spirit of God being dumped in your heart time and time again as you hear about it. I am the one who brings the ability by me creating that in your heart. That's what it means for me to be Lord, beloved. Submission to Jesus is inevitable because of his lordship. It's not potential because of your response. It's inevitable. He creates the submission that he demands by creating that, not by the power of the request. We think if we say one more time that you should bow the knee, that all of a sudden the knees are going to start getting shaken and go down. No. He creates He creates that which he demands by his freeing, conquering, kingly power to take the priest's work and dump it in the heart and soul where you say yes to God, not because of the request outside, but the spirit inside. This is a different kind of king who has a different kind of lordship, y'all. So ladies, I'm sorry, the request doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for God. He creates submission. Here's one of two more things I have to say. The king has the crown that is more about his where than our how. Dr. Seuss. The king has a crown that's more about his where than our how. Look at Colossians 1.13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he has asked us to transfer ourselves and surrender our... Man, I'm, I'm, I'm adding words again. I'm sorry. Sorry. Transferred us into the kingdom of the ones who love the Son. I keep messing it up, man. Hold up, hold up, man. In the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Transfer into a domain, a reality, a world that is defined by what? The belovedness of the Son. How did you get there? Transfer? Why are you in there? The son's belovedness? So here's a picture that I think is helpful about this. First, let me just say that the lordship of Christ is more about sovereign transfer and less about self-surrender. Look, once God has transferred you over, the the battle's already over. (laughs) He he skips the, the... the bridge of self-surrender. He just transfers you and he puts you into his domain, so to speak, and then you're there, you're in. So here's a picture. You act in light of what house you're in. So my kids, when they're at Buelo's house, because they're at Buelo's house, they act a certain way. 
the power of the domain that they are in. So because they're the domain of Buelo, they live in anarchy. <laughs> do, not let, do not let my mom listen to this. Anarchy. Why? Behavior, codification, is more about the domain that you are placed in. It's less about the inner realities of the person. God puts you into a place, and because you're in a place that has certain domain, you know, rules and realities, you then have behavior in a lot of where you at. Now, you take those same kids and you put them in our house. Oh, the behaviors are different. Different. You see what's going on here? Paul is saying that the lordship of Christ is more about him putting you in his new zip code, gospel redemptive, new kingdom domain space. And because he's dumped you in there by his belovedness of his son, because you're in this new space, you then act new because you're in the space. But you're not in the space because you act new. You act new because you're in the space. You're not in the space because you act new. You act new because you're in the king's space. And he puts you in there. And it's about what? The belovedness of himself. That is very different than how I think we often think about it. One more thing I'd say about the lordship of Christ in the now, the present. The king has a crown that is about distribution more than collection. Distribution more than collections. Ephesians 4, 7. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For when he ascended on high, he took prisoners captive. So basically the king grabbed his plunder. You know who the plunder is? Us. He didn't invite his plunder. He didn't request his plunder. He didn't alter call his plunder. He grabbed it. That's the invitation. He grabbed it. Look what it says. What does it mean that he ascended except that he descended into lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So he captures people. He gives gifts to them. And then he fills them. And then what happens to all these people that the king has conquered and is ruling over and is subjugated and has made them his plunder? What happens? What does he require? How do they submit? He gave them pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So check this out. Do you know what he does? How, how, he says, look, I've captured you and made you under my sovereign lordship. Now, I give you gifts to give to other people. I don't need anything from you. I don't need to collect from you. Listen, you know that person who comes up to you? And they're like, here, let me give you some money. And if you don't need money, what do you say to them? I don't need your money. Give it to somebody else. Unless you're one of these greedy folk. Well, I don't, I don't need it, but I, I sure would like to go to Chili's uh, and order two drinks and not one, you know? Like, maybe you would take it, but, but when you don't need money, you say, give it to someone else. Beloved, when the king conquers us, he does not need our tribute. He doesn't need your spiritual disciplines where you're always trying to see if you've made him happy enough. He's happy and satisfied. So he says, this is how you're going to live under me. You're going to give all my gifts to my people who need it, and you're going to stop worrying about making me happy all the time because we're good. I got my money. So if you want to submit to me, then turn from the gifts I give you towards your neighbor, towards your brother. So, Lord, it's intriguing because I think the way we see the Lord is that he's always asking us to do things that are vertically necessary to prove that we're really under him. But listen, he's saying, if you're really under my authority, then look horizontally. Look to your wife. Look to your kids. Look to your brother. Look to your neighbor. Stop with your pietistic obsession about tributing something to me. I'm good. I conquered you, and now I give you gifts to disperse to people who need it. Because guess what? God does not need your worship. God is not the insecure high school chick who needs attention. He's got the attention of his son. 
and the Spirit of God. So when he gives you stuff, it's because he's good and he wants you to provide for needy people. That's how we relate to the Lord in the now. He gives under his lordship so we can distribute rather than collect like an Indian giver. Oh, you know, the only reason I gave it to you is because I want it back. <laughs> so I think I'm not bad on time. Am I correct? All right. Someone, someone, someone correct me. Kevin, you always say that. <laughs> Kevin's, one, Kevin's one of those people that in the old days when, when, the, when the Puritans were preaching for an hour and a half and they stopped, you're like, yo, man, why you shortchanged me? <laughs> Just never, he can never get up. And everybody else is like, Kevin, we checked out at 44.4 minutes. It's <laughs> a modern world, okay? We're visual people. All right. Let me just give some applications. If the king has a crown of provision over prescription, then I think we... So if he rules over us by providing first, not prescribing first, then I think we have a different... We need to have a different view of how we lead people in the church, Right? Here's how we shouldn't leave you in the church. Give me, give me attendance. Give me, give me service. Give me tithing. Give me, 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 give me. Is that how he leads? Is that how Christ leads us? No. He gives, 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 gives the things that God's people need to live, 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 live. We have enough macho men who are just requiring and not giving gifts to the church to live, live, live. We have enough macho men in the house. Oh, you're going you're gonna to do what I want? You're going to be the woman of God? Are you going to Proverbs 31? No, you are a giver in that house. You are a provider in that house, just like the Lord is with his authority. We lead by giving the things that people need to live because that's how our Lord lords. Give, give, give so that we can live. I'm not trying to rhyme. I just did. Beloved, if the king has a crown that is most powerful in forgiveness and exoneration, then we need to realize the most powerful thing we do as Christians, the most powerful thing we do in the church to proclaim Jesus as Lord is pronounce people forgiven in spite of themselves. That is the most powerful crowning event that ever happens. And you know what? If you disagree with me, that's why we have a table. The king is like, listen, I want to have a regular ceremony where I declare and I put it in your mouth, exoneration. The king's in heaven. What does he want us to think about the throne, body, and blood spilt for traitors who need to be forgiven? I am regularly declaring from the throne an exoneration, forgiveness, edict. Yeah, I don't know about that. Beloved, that's what he does. If the king has a crown that creates submission, then we need to be about the things that God uses to create submission. So listen, I think a lot of times, and and, and to be short, God creates submission through his priestly gifts that Prada was talking about and his prophetic expression of those gifts that Ken was talking about, and then the, and the summary of those things that Dave was talking about. So let me give you a picture that makes help. So we should be surrendering to the Lord. Everyone here should be surrendering to the Lord. But the problem is that we don't have the capacity to bend our knees. So this is what God does. He starts throwing things, priestly things in your hands. Priestly, he's like, man, all right, more, more. And it's like, no, that's not enough. More, more, more. And all of a sudden, you've got all this priestly stuff in your hands, and your knees start bowing because you're being brought to the floor by the king's priestly gifts. That's how you submit. It is by him leaping gift upon gift, adoption, reconciliation, propitiation, and it brings you down to the point where you can't get up. 
That is what we do to each other, and that's what we do to the church. We leap lumps of weighty grace that gives you no choice but to bend. We should be giving the people of God the things that create submission. A few more points of application. If the king has a crown that's more about his where than our how, then we should be helping people see about their where so they can get the how. Now, let me give you a picture that may be helpful. So when you go to Disney World with your kids or Legoland, here's how you don't bring joy to their lives. We're in Disney. You should be happy. Hey, y'all laughing, but that's how we are in the church. You're in Jesus land. You should be humble. You're in Legoland. You should be joyous. No, here's what you should do. You should bust out the brochure. Be like, look at this ride. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this candy store. You bust open the realities of this world. And as you declare, as you define, as you delineate what is in this Legoland world, joy comes. You see the picture? We open up the roadmap of the beauties of the kingdom and where they are in. And as we take them through the journey day after day, joy from knowing that world comes up. That's discipleship. That's what Miami needs. Not, you should be happy because you're in Legoland. You should be loving because you're a Christian. No, no, no. Jesus talks about the power of his in Christ domain. And from that, from that comes deep, powerful, kingly produced joy. One more point. Beloved, if the way the king has a crown over us in the now is by distribution more than collection, then we should be submitting to the king by giving gifts to those in need more than always finding another religious thing to give something to God to make sure the Lord is okay. The whole Roman Catholic system is based on that. And we have our own Catholicism. Beloved, do you know what a you know you know do you know what a religion that is primarily about submission and tribute to the king? That's the primary thing. You know you know what you know what it's called? Islam means submission. Do you know what our king's meaning of his rule is? Distribution. Distribution to needy people. I don't need it. They need it. Distribution. Not submission, tribute, but distribution. So, you know what's interesting? Pilate talks about giving yourself a living sacrifice. Then where does the conversation go? Giving to needy people. Want to submit to God? Want to honor his lordship? Then be about distribution to needy people and stop Acting like God needs your private time to make him happy. Your whatever, your whatever, your whatever your ceremonial system is, God is happy. God is fully happy. And he says, be about distribution with those who are in need. This is the king's crown in principle, in the past, and in the present. And here, as I would say in summary, the lordship of Christ is more about how the king rules you and less about how well he, you are ruled. The Lord, I said more, not either or, okay? The Lordship of Christ is more about how awesome it is that he rules you and less about how impressively you let him rule you. And because he is a king, he rules you sufficiently for you to focus on that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that as we look to your truth we then see truth in a priest. And then as we look to your truth in a priest, we then look at your priestly truth in a king. You are a provider. You are a protector. You are a defender. God, help us to hide 
Hide in your heads. Hide in your your loyalty. Hide in your priestly provision and your revelation as, as prophet, God. In Jesus' name, we pray, God. I pray, brothers, pray with me in your hearts. I pray, God, that this city would know more. Please, please, God, please, we pray that this place would know more about the king and his grace. They would know more about a priest who did everything, God. This city is full of people who are religiously exhausted. They're religiously exhausted. And they're being abused. Instead of thinking about the priest, they're being called to sacrifice themselves over and over and over and over. God, please, please. Please have mercy on this place. Please, God, please give us clarity about this, the gracious mediation of this priest. Please give us men, give us women, please. Please, God, give us more people who just want to know what it means to be ruled by a gracious priest who speaks gospel. Please, God, I pray that these conferences would be larger and bigger, God. Yes, we can be thankful Yes, we can say, God, thank you for those who are here. But God, we want more people to know about this bloody crown. Please. Would you pray with me, church, every day that this would, we would just stop being these people who make excuses for why Jesus can't rule here in a gospel-centered way. God, we pray, we pray, we plead. This is just more than just... Preaching in a conference. This is more than just us having our fans say, great message. No, God, please. Please, may this be gasoline. May this be gospel gasoline to go many places. And pray these things in your name. Through your priestly offering that you sanctify all of our prayers and all of their mixed motives. In Jesus' name, amen.